0: A podcast one production. Hello, my name's Gary Megan and welcome to A Plate to Call Home. If you love Italian food, then you'll love what Paola Baccia is all about. Her website and Instagram account, Italy on My Mind, is a feast of Italian cuisines and shorelines that'll make your mouth water and may get you hopping on a plane straight to Venice. Paola was a contestant on MasterChef, but left early on due to her dad getting sick. And afterwards, she found a calling in the online world, and now her Instagram presence is allowing her the opportunity to travel the world and follow her passions to every nook and cranny that Italy has to offer. And it's a great chat, Makes me wish I was in Italy right now. So, Paola, um, I was searching through your Instagram page because you've got a website, which is Italy on my mind. Correct. And you've got an Instagram page. And on your Instagram, I think you've got, what, 33,500 followers? Yeah. So there's a few fans.
1: You know, it's all one one family, and it's amazing because before internet social media, I couldn't have done that. Yeah. like you couldn't have. It's opened up a whole world of of
0: possibilities, yeah. really. So, what was the inspiration to you know jump into MasterChef? And I don't want to hang around MasterChef, but it's yeah, quite no. interesting. Mm-hmm. It was it a pivotal point in your look kind it, of food interest.
1: Uh, it it probably was, starting from with Series 1, which I watched. But it also was timed with, and I don't want to you know harp on this either, but I'm a dentist by profession and I hurt my neck because I'm really tall and I've got a really long neck, which people say, oh, it's swan-like. I go, no, you try mm. bending it sideways to look into <laughs> someone's mouth for 15 years and you'll find that it's a problem. So it coincided with me being off work for a long period of time right. and I guess exploring... Um, the Italian side of my heritage. Well, all my heritage is Italian. There is no just (laughs) Italian side. It's all of my heritage. And um, particularly through food. And then also my father being sick and realising that life would change when dad passed away because he had cancer. And that life that I knew it with mum and dad would be different.
0: Was MasterChef a sliding doors moment for you?
1: It was. It uh, it it really was. And I think I remember uh, one thing that you said to me, and it was about well, what was your food dream. And we had to come up with with a you know what's your food dream, and everyone's going oh geez, what am I going to say? What am I going to say? And I said well I'd love to uh, write a cookbook. Everyone wants to write a cookbook, but I also would love to run a um, a cooking school in my own home. And you said to me oh there's a lady in Armidale called and I couldn't remember what the name was, but it was Di. Yeah, you, yeah. And, you know, she runs this lovely little business and you go to her home and you cook with her. And earlier this year, I went there and um, she's retired pretty much, but she runs occasional ones with groups of people that she knows. So a friend of mine through her friend had got onto this group of people. So she said there was a spot, did I want to come along? So I went along there and this was at the back of my mind. So I had to tell Di. So she was like, oh, how (laughs) exciting, how exciting. She thought it was terrific. And I had a great time. It was um, her home's amazing, it's the paintings beautiful. on the wall, and oh, it was lovely. So it was funny because it came back to that conversation that, that we'd had. So,
0: what did it lead to?
1: So, it led to me establishing my own cooking school in my home uh, about three years ago. And I run classes. I run them about three times a month, four times a month. So on a Saturday and a Sunday. And they are simple Italian cooking classes. So I do um, pasta classes or gnocchi classes. And we make three types of that. Everyone has their own pasta machine and their own board. And they take home a whole lot of what they made as well as eating that. And then we have cakes classes. We have pasta sauce making classes. And I will run lunches on request where we make three courses. And it becomes more. More like dyes classes, so the classes where you make courses and then sit down and eat them yep. at a dining table, and they're really popular. They're booked, um, booked up until
0: November. And so, did the inspiration to then, I suppose, as your your father passed away, would that be right? And then you decided to, you know, make this something that was going to be more important in your life.
1: So it was about recording the dishes that Mum made. So my family are from the northwest northeast corner of Italy. So from Mum's from Veneto, and Dad. Uh, was from a part called Istria, which is now Croatia. Yeah. So it's the Istrian Peninsula. So after World War Two, ni- Tito came in 1947, right. became Yugoslavia. There was a mass exodus um, from the town where he was from, which was called Pula in Italian, but Pula in uh, Croatian. And the food around there is very much influenced by the oh the border countries, I guess, so Austria, Hungary, Slovenia, but Italy as well. So you've got a beautiful marriage of all those cuisines and when you think of the food from there it's not your traditional Italian food at all we have sauerkraut sausages a beautiful soup called iota, which is made with um, with bolotti beans and sauerkraut and sausages and ham hocks mm. and things like that it's beautiful hearty hearty food uh, my mum's apple strudel which is amazing where the pastry is like you should re- be able to read through it you know that olive oil yeah. pastry that's very very thin um, so the um so they were the recipes that I wanted to record uh, while mum was still, you know, happy to make them because when dad wasn't around, she wasn't cooking as much because for one person you just don't yeah. cook as much and... So, yeah, I managed to record them. I learned to take photos. I think I'd always loved photography and taken it, you know, in a small way. But then I learned and was able to, you know, capture images. Unfortunately, my father had already gone, so I don't have many images of him um, apart from family photos. But I've got a lot of my mum, who's still with us, and she's 90.
0: I was just about to ask, so what did your mum think of this, you know, interest that all of a sudden you you go, right, I want to photograph it. I want to recipe it. How did she approach it all?
1: Well, I mean, she was like why are you interested now? I said, well, dad never let me be interested before. And you would take, I remember her, me trying to roll an apple strudel and she's like, you're not doing it right. Just give it to me. (laughs) Like, mama, I'm not going to learn it. And uh, so she thought it was pretty, it was pretty funny, but then it became a real, like an additional bonding time that we didn't have because growing up, it was very much about my father asking me, well, about study and trying to help me with um, with university and high school, and then about my career, which took off. I was in management. I ran hospitals. I was in high level management. So Dad was uh, really proud of that. So I had lots of conversations with my father about that, but less so with Mum about food. Although her food was delicious and her saugor, her meat saugor is still the best. Even at ninety, she makes of the best, it is. the <laughs> best saugor. And um, so mum thought that it was great, and now she's wonderful. I mean, she's 90, but she will pose for photos before I have seen a I couple of her food. nibbling
0: on, I'm not even sure, I think it was in Italian. It was a quail. Was it quail? It was a quail. Quail legs or quail something legs like that?
1: that I made her for Easter, she came over, <laughs> and um, of course... Quails wonderful, but back in Veneto they used to have songbirds. You know the birds yeah, that you would right. small birds that you would catch, and I've actually eaten them in Umbria about oh, three four years ago. Went to the father yeah. of a um, of a friend, and he'd gone out and caught some birds, and they were like about oh they yeah, were tiny. so small, and yeah. they were he was just roasting them on an open fire with uh, thickly cut pancetta and bay leaves and pouring oil on it, but, you know, the instructions were to eat it, you have to hold it by the head and crunch. Yeah.
0: So did your mum tell you any stories of her childhood Mm -hmm. and...
1: Oh, yeah. yeah, mum um, tells me stories all the time. After we cook together, when I go there, we usually have coffee, I'll take a cake over and we'll play cards. We'll play Italian cards. We'll play Scopa or Briscola, which are typical games that we play. And sometimes she'll repeat the same story, but other times she'll come out with a new story that I've never heard before. And one that she told me uh, fairly recently was about her and her best friend Teresa, Teresa, I guess, who um, both their parents had restaurants or bars and they were over the road from the railway station in a town called Monfalcone, which was quite a big railway station close to Trieste. So it was during the war and whenever they'd hear a train was coming, they would prepare or get some food, food that had been heated up and take it to the platform. And when the train stopped, the soldiers would come out and buy the food, which is, I think, such a beautiful memory. You have that, you know, those scenes of, trains in the 40s of people waving goodbye on the platform. I can imagine these two beautiful girls, because my mum was absolutely gorgeous, um, selling trays of food to these soldiers. Of course they were buying them, you know, like, look, wouldn't you? The young girls are selling
0: entrepreneurial as well. Did your mum and dad meet in Italy or did they meet in Australia? They met
1: in Italy. So the story um, is that my father and his parents and his sister left uh, Pula because it was as did... 90% of the population of this town, who were all the Italians left, and they went to the first town over the border that was Italy, which was a town called Monfalcone. Trieste was in the hand of the Allies for 10 years, so they didn't know who it would belong to, if it would be Yugoslavia, if it would become communist. There was real fear of communism in the 50s um, and the 40s, so they went to the first town that was over the border, which was Monfalcone. So, my mother was... um, still is, a beautiful woman and she used to save up money with her friend Teresa, the girl of the train, to get their photos taken. So there's a particularly beautiful photo of my mother that they put in the window of the photography shop with this sort of turban in her in her hair. And people used to stop by the bar where she was working and say, oh, look, it's the girl from the photo shop. Look, look, it's her. So my it was also this shop um, or this bar was over the road from where my father and his father went to get a war, some sort of pension that they were getting as war refugees. They were essentially war refugees. And after collecting the money, they'd go into the bar to have a coffee. And he saw this beautiful woman and
0: asked her out. Yeah. Not a shy man then obviously.
1: No, 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 no. And in fact, he asked her out and she was like, no, no, no. So he followed her to the movies one night when she'd burnt her hand. So her mother gave her the night off or the afternoon or probably afternoon knowing my my nonna. And so she went to the cinema on her own and my father followed her and sat down next to her and tried to kiss her. And she ran home to wash her
0: mouth. Does the food bring these memories back? So when you cook together, you play cards together, you drink together. That's when the story Drink
1: coffee together. <laughs> <laughs> Only coffee. <laughs> yeah, she doesn't drink wine anymore. After the dog bit her, when she was on antibiotics, she will tell you. <laughs> um, so, yes. So, you know... Preparing food will always bring back um, memories of her aunt uh, Enrica who used to pull the dough for the crostoli over the open fire, over the Fogoler because they didn't, I mean, I'll make it with a pasta machine now, but clearly they didn't have a pasta machine. They'd roll it out. So she would stretch that dough by hand to make it really thin. Um, so that's one story she'll tell, but she'll tell a lot of stories like that. Yeah, They're it's a just beautiful. beautiful. Well,
0: it's also a beautiful thing that you have found this opportunity to, you know, explore your mother's mind, you know, especially as she gets older. You know, I don't think I've done that with my mum because I think I still feel like, um, you know, I left home when I was 18 years old. And in a sense, I I almost have, and it is slightly different, but I almost have an 18-year-old's relationship with my mum because I've, I've been away for so long. It sounds a strange thing to say, but, you know, I hope at some point that I have time to do that,
1: yeah, I think it's really important to capture those memories because, I mean, I guess my generation um, and you know yours and younger, they write, we write down everything. I mean, you can track what we did through Facebook and all sorts of memories, there's photos. But for people from that generation, it's very hard to to record that, and otherwise, it's lost. Particularly, there are very few people who are ninety who will remember things. Yeah, it is about you know when you have a meal or when you have a dish, it's for me, it's the memories that it brings back of either when you ate it or who made it or the stories they were telling to you while you were eating it or making it. Um, I think food, everyone has to eat. Um, Everyone shares meals. It's just...
0: It's a time and place. I think because there's so so many of your senses involved, of course, it fixes the memory, fixes it beautifully. Does your daughter have the same idea does she think of you in the same way? How's your How old's your daughter now? Uh, she's
1: 28 now she's oh, twenty eight now.
0: All right, she's old enough to appreciate her mum in in that context, Does she not? Um, does she knock on your door and go, "Give me a recipe for this"? Or
1: she does. She does a bit, but she doesn't eat gluten. So for me, being being pasta gnocchi uh, girl, it's it's a little bit different. Although there are some things that that we do cook together, and we have and. Um, But she moved out of home when she was 18 also, so...
0: I have this romantic idea that I'm always going to cook with my wife and my daughter, but normally it's just me on my own, and they're doing other things.
1: That's because your recipes are too complicated for them, oh, maybe. even when I'm cooking something <laughs> simple, I go, is anybody going to help in
0: here? Did you travel back to Italy when you were a, a kid with your parents? Yes,
1: yeah, so we migrated back to Italy. We did the old thing of had enough of Australia, let's sell the house, let's quit our jobs, let's yep. move back to Italy. So we did that in the early 70s. And we'd gone over for Christmas, for a holiday, my sister was 10 years older than me and somehow my aunt and uncle convinced my parents, I was five at the time, to leave my sister in Italy while we went back, she was 15, back and sell the house and quit our jobs and move over. So she lived with my childless, well-off aunt and uncle who bought her everything and she was a bit furious when we came back because we moved into a tiny apartment and she and I had a bunk bed um, and I went to school there. So I did my first grade one there. And missed a year of year and a bit of what school. What was here. the
0: impetus behind that? Out of curiosity, what what was the reasoning? Was it the Id, the romance of the idea of moving back to Italy and you know reconnecting with lost family or culture?
1: It was with the culture and with with friends. It was my father. My mother will still to this day say, "I told your father not to sell the house. I told your father we can take a year of leave and and you know and do that." But. He insisted he was a patriarch, you know, that was the society when you actually listened to the father. Uh, He had missed out on his youth, I guess, because of the war and had to fight in it. And then when he came back to uh, Pula, Pula, I should call it correctly, um, it had been heavily bombed by the Allies because it was occupied by the Nazis and um, the Yugoslavs, Tito had taken over and so there was a mass migration. So he connected with with those people but then they moved all over Italy and when he went back in 19 in the early 70s 72 he um he thought he'd find them he thought they'd have reunions all the time he could connect with his homeland that he really really missed and he talked about it till the day he died yeah. um, but when he went back he couldn't find a job he was over he was 54 and no one would employ um, an Italian at that age who'd been skilled in something different in Australia. He was an industrial chemist in Australia working in automotive paint. And um, so he was unemployed and it was just terribly difficult. Yeah. So in the end, my and I was just jumping around. I was like six and seven. I didn't care where I lived. So the idea was that mum and I would move back to Australia and my sister and my father would stay there, but that wasn't, wasn't, going to happen. So we all moved back.
0: So no regrets with your with your mum. You've reconnected, you you know, you've found that passion in food that you share that you missed out when you were a kid. I mean do you look back at it and go, Oh, I wish I'd Yeah, know? I do. I do. Do you think it would have sent you in a in a, in a On a different path in life rather than becoming a dentist, or?
1: I guess I always wanted to please um, my father, and my sister did too, when it was that he was that type of person. So I think both of my sister and I went into our careers um, wanting to please dad. But. Maybe I would have done things differently. I do think I would have, but it doesn't matter. It still worked out really well and it's at a stage where I'm more mature and able to to, to deal with it and I'm really happy with, with where I am in life and right maybe now. Maybe
0: you enjoyed it on a, on a different level. I think what we find, you know, certainly on MasterChef and people that discover food later on in life is that I think if they'd fallen into it in their youth, the, the passion's not there. It's more it becomes a job. This is A Plate to Call Home. I'm Gary Meegan. More from Paula after the break. So the, this realisation of going back, what? because you, you've written how many cookbooks now?
1: Uh, my second one is in print. It's right. being printed at the moment, Fantastic. which is amazing. Well,
0: tell us about that one.
1: So, this book, so this was my idea. The first book was not my idea. It was a book company that came to me, said, we'd like to write you well, to write a book nice. about true. Italian street food. And I said, okay, um, does it have to be street food? And he said, yes. I went, okay, I can do that, sure. And I photographed it all as well. So, I do all the photography. Um, and the second book was my idea entirely, and it's called Adriatico. So, it's about the um, food and the people of the Adriatic coast of Italy from the Gulf of Trieste or Trieste, right down to the tip of the Salento, which is the heel mm-hmm. of Italy. So I researched that. My husband came along too, which was nice. He got long service leave. And we traveled for three months up the coast, stopping in various places that I decided because each chapter is um, a geographical feature, not a region, because regional cookings like Puglia is such a long, narrow region that the north is quite different from the south. So, I split that into two. And Molisa is a really tiny region. So, that's sort of incorporated in the coast of the Traboki. And the Traboki are those fishing piers that, that have nets that go into the water that are lowered by people on on, on board the, on the pier. Uh, so, it's divided into seven uh, chapters, which are all geographical features. So, I went... Um, my husband and I went and drove along and stayed in each of those places, and I took a lot, all the location photography, and then talked to people about the food, found whatever local cookbooks I find, put, could find particularly uh, older ones that don't have recipes in as much they have a description of the ingredients. And then I went to restaurants and talked to people to get the
0: recipes. Where did you find the best food?
1: The food that I really liked, because I don't eat a lot of meat. I know we're talking about birds back then, but it's a special occasion thing, I find meat. So I love the salento, which is the very tip of Puglia, which is a lot of grains and greens and very simple food because they're very poor down there and a lot of amazing olive oil. You know, you talk about Tuscan olive oil. And it is very, very good. But the Pugliese, particularly the Salentino olive oil, is amazing. I was in the Salento last week, and I went to see um, an underground olive press that predates the Romans. They had um, from when the Greeks were there. It was amazing,
0: incredible. Did you taste any oil? Oh, no, it would be too early in the season now, wouldn't it? Yeah. So, or did you? T- so you would have tasted last harvest oil.
1: Yeah, yeah, I and did. And they, you know, when they make when they make the oil, they actually store it there. They don't bottle it all immediately, so they keep it in tanks for then distribution through the year. Yeah,
0: which is the best way to do it because it's degraded by light. By light So as soon as you put it in a air. bottle and air and air. it starts to degrade, doesn't it? Yeah, exactly. So do you still have stop you in your tracks moments where you have a dish? I mean, you talked about those grains and those greens and the olive oil. Do you sit in a place and look at your husband and go, this is beyond belief. Do you still have those moments?
1: Yeah, I do. I do. Absolutely. Uh, I think uh, also the seafood in Italy is amazingly fresh and you still do find places where fishermen catch it and then sell it. So it's just fresh. It's not trawled. It's not got through. So can you tell
0: us about one of those moments?
1: It was in the Conero. So it's in a region called Le Marche, which is called the Marches, I think in English, which never makes sense to me. It's called Le Marche, but it doesn't matter. And there are the wild mussels of Porto Novo. So uh, Porto Novo is, um, there's a whole lot of uh, reefs that are off the coast, one or two kilometres, and there are mussels that grow there naturally. And because of the waters around there and the way they um the tides are when you pick the mussels they the smaller ones drop and recede into the rock and the waters are a grade water so that you know it's it's incredibly uh, fresh and self-sustaining because the majority of mussels of course are in nets and grown and they have been for hundreds of years so it's um it's a pretty normal way of having mussels but these guys we Watch them, and it was the start of the season. So the season is um, for about six months of the year, and there's only a couple of people who are licensed to go and get them. So two guys go out onto the onto the rocks. One guy goes under the water, and the other guy's on the boat, and he's got a special scraper to collect them off, a special net to catch them in. So the smaller ones can fall down, and then they sort them and bring them bring them on shore, and then they sell them immediately. So we had a three course meal at a restaurant called Da Emilia. And it was a three-course mussel meal, which I I just couldn't believe it. Why
0: couldn't you believe it? Describe it to us.
1: Number one, because they'd just been caught and I'd read about these mussels for ages and I was so excited to actually be eating them because I love the sustainability fact of them. Um, They they weren't uh, raw, they weren't crudo exactly, but they were just barely steamed with really good quality uh, light flavoured olive oil and a little bit of lemon. And they just tasted, they were so tender. I just had, And they still tasted of the sea, of course. And then there was a dish with pasta and then there was a gratin dish of mussels. I would have eaten about a hundred mussels, I'm sure. And they <laughs> were small, but they were delicious. It was just, and we were right by the water and we watched the boat go out again to get some more mussels while we were sitting there eating them. I mean, that's, You know, you can't almost, you can't capture that. You can't easily recreate that.
0: So why are you still living here? (laughs) Okay. I love the fact that there's, that you've built this, and and I say it empire, but built this life around uh, your love of food and the fact that, you know, it's no mean feat to, to kind of have the following that you do on Instagram. That is pretty amazing. And now I'm following you, so now I know what you're doing. Oh. And principally because I, know, <laughs> I want to know what you're eating. That's, that's my motivation, okay. um, and the fact that you're doing the food tours too, because I think the more connected you become with a group of people like Christine Mansfield's, fantastic, and you know th- those connections will obviously just increase and give you even more reason to, you know, bring these two cultures together. Mm-hmm. So much to discover, mm-hmm. lovely stories. Thank you very much indeed.
1: Thank you. Thank you for having me. It's been wonderful.
0: It's funny, isn't it? Being a chef, people always say, well, fresh pasta is better than dried, right? And I go, well, they're just two different things. I love fresh pasta. If you're going to make it at home, one of the easiest recipes, 100 grams of flour, one egg, pinch of salt, dash of olive oil, and then just multiply it up the more portions you want to make. And you'll need a pasta roller, and it's a lot of effort, and the flour cleaning up everything. It's, you know, it's a bit, it's dedicated, put it that way. I like a really nice artisan dried pasta. It may seem to be a little expensive, but they are beautiful. Lots of different shapes to choose from. A little old wives' tale about cooking pasta, you put a dash of olive oil in the water. Not true. Plenty of boiling salted water. The olive oil will not help it stay separate. The key is lots of boiling salted water, gentle tumble, cook it as per the directions on the packet, drain it well, then put it back into a pot, then add a little olive oil, salt and pepper. And it just soaks it all up and it tastes delicious. And talking about salt pepper and olive oil, there's a dish called cacio e pepe, which just means cheese and pepper. One of the simplest pasta dishes you can ever make. Fresh or dried pasta, use a generous or a little amount of butter, good parmesan cheese grated and lots of pepper and a little bit of the cooking liquid from the pasta. It is yum. Try it. You've probably cooked it for your 3-year-old and never knew that you were cooking cacio e pepe. A Plate to Call Home is a Podcast One production. Produced by Dave Zwolenski, audio production is Darcy Thompson and special thanks to Imogen Thomas for all the research.